Welcome to the Neo Network Podcast, a regular briefing on news and happenings in the world of renewable energy. Welcome to this episode of the Neo Network Podcast. I'm Ian Lawrence. And I'm Jim Stanway. Today we are joined by Megan Jones, Emerging Market Specialist. Megan, thanks for joining. Thanks for having me. Welcome. So we've been talking about mostly U.S.-related content for the past episode or two, and today we're going to dive into some new markets around the world. Uh, Megan has uh, considerable knowledge of some of the the far-flung countries and places that maybe you're not as accustomed to thinking about when you think about renewable energy. So, um, Megan, why don't you just start us off with something interesting that you've learned recently, maybe a new opportunity, and uh, we'll grill you with questions. Okay, great. Well, this actually isn't necessarily a new opportunity, but it is something to consider when you're looking at putting renewable energy anywhere around the world. It's consumer appetite and the political willingness for people to pay for it. So we've come across a couple different articles, uh, one of which is a little bit older from China, which showed that 90% of the Chinese population was willing to pay double to have green energy. A recent study, however, that came out... Hang on a second. 90% 90% of, of the, the Chinese, Chinese people surveyed said they were willing to pay twice as much as they currently pay to have green energy. Okay, there's a lot there's a lot of like a little there's lots of subtle words in there. 90% of the Chinese people who were surveyed. Surveyed, yes. Now, so my question is, who did they survey? Uh, people living in cities, primarily Beijing, which would make a lot of sense for that answer because they are dealing with the smog and pollution that comes from uh, having living in a big city like that. So 90% of the people surveyed want to breathe. Yeah, sounds great. Okay, yeah. that. Yeah, that's, oh. I, I'm, I'm a little bit skeptical of the survey results there. Oh, but I have another that. great one to talk okay, about. Okay, okay, give me more data then. This next one says that over half of uh, those surveyed in South Korea are unwilling to pay increased electricity fees to fi- fight air pollution. Because they're already breathing. They are already breathing. Yes. I mean, I think we all are right now, right? Unless we're dead. Yeah, but um, they're saying they're unwilling to pay, unwilling, right? Unwilling, yes. And what is the big difference between Seoul and Beijing? Quite possibly pollution. Okay. That would be my point on these articles. <laughs> I think it's it, it, it's kind of like surveying people floating around in the ocean. <laughs> Do you want a life jacket? Yes or no? Okay. You know? But it's interesting because South Korea really relies on coal as well in their new generation mix. Not only uh, does China obviously have a huge coal impact, but so does so does South Korea so, as well. So I think if there's a point, it's that, uh, you know, the hypothetical um, doing good by adopting green energy mm-hmm. is less front and center for people than the change in their actual experience. Yes. Right? Yeah. Which is mixed, is the way we vote for our politics, too. So, sure. no surprise. But something to consider if you're putting uh, maybe a solar facility on top of your rooftop in China, that's going to be well received by your neighbors. In South Korea, they may just shrug. So, that's going to potentially affect your story. So, so we got pollution in Beijing, not sure. so much pollution in North Korea, at least not enough that they like. South in North Korea? Korea? You mean South, South Korea, okay. yes? South Korea. Wait, South Korea. There's certainly no pollution in North Korea. No, there wouldn't be. Never. Um, yeah, yeah, I want to be very clear on that. <laughs> Wonderful place. Um, so but so why the difference in pollution levels? If they're both mm-hmm. coal heavy, mm-hmm. is it that 
the South Korean plants have some kind of scrubbers on them? Mm. Is it there's other pollution in China? That's called, what's the difference? Part of it is car auto pollution, having increased cars on the road. Um, but part of it also is that scrubbing issue that you talk about right there. Because a lot of the Chinese coal plants, even though it's required to have the scrubbers and to use them, they don't necessarily. And they've just been slapped on the wrist and not fined. So that's part of it. I can tell you Beijing has gotten considerably better in the last 10 years. Yes, absolutely. When I was in Beijing 12 years ago, mm-hmm. uh, I could hardly breathe after being there for two days. It was that bad. I was in Beijing a couple years ago, it was quite a bit better, noticeably better. So they're doing some things over there to change, for sure. And it actually brings me perfectly into the next article that I had found that I thought was really interesting. Um, So obviously China's a really hot market for renewable energies for um, CNIs, and a lot of CNIs are in fact putting solar on top of their rooftops. But one of the studies that just came out uh, about two weeks ago said that the potential solar energy could be 13% higher if it wasn't for all the air pollution in China that literally all that smog is actually blocking the sun's radiation and is affecting the solar output that otherwise would have been given from those facilities. And particulates that settle on the solar panels, right? Absolutely. If you've just got stuff dropping out of the air, Mm -hmm. all of a sudden you have to go and wash your solar panels every week to get all the muck and guck off it. It's kind of a catch-22 then, right? It is. And it makes it really challenging then to address it as a a solution. Obviously, if you want to put more renewable on to cut down on use of coal, but you can't put the solar on the roof because you can't get the solar energy... Because of the coal in the first place, it is, exactly. Now, there's some wind in China, too. I've seen some, some turbines over there. Absolutely. In fact, I think the wind, uh, um, overall renewable, I think, is up pretty significantly year over year, even though there was a bunch of changes in the Chinese renewable energy policies. Um, they basically moved away from giving subsidies to going subsidy-free. Yep. They're still seeing quite a bit of um, renewable energy coming online still, and some of it's at grid parity, which is really exciting. But wasn't that <clears throat> So the, I know that China did the removal of the subsidies play, mm-hmm. Um, which, I mean, they're certainly not the only government to have done that. Sure. But they replaced it with, there was still market incentives for renewables, yeah. right? Like in terms of di- uh, interconnection priority. But I mean, that's huge, right? That's huge. And that's been major, one of the major issues in China is getting that renewable energy connected to the grid in the first place. There's been such a high curtailment um, of the renewable energy that's been installed that it just hasn't been making it to the end users. But that's starting to improve. They're putting quotas on that, making sure that each province has a certain amount of energy coming online from renewable. And then all those incentives, those were at the national level. States and provinces and cities can still add their own incentives on top of that. So those didn't go away. I actually thought that program was was really pretty clever. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think we would do well to consider something like that. You know, you just offering monetary incentives has been helpful. Obviously, the PTC and the ITC has spurred on a lot of growth in in wind and solar, but a lot of the issues that developers still face are related to permits and queue positions Mm -hmm. and things that if there were incentives related to those challenges, I think could go a long way. Yeah, I think everybody everybody I've talked to who's read that summary of how China is incenting renewables without financial, I guess it is in a way financial, but if it, is for, if it isn't financial incentives, mm-hmm. everybody's read that and said, oh, that's very clever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and if you compare it to some other markets, I think some of them are starting to take notice of that. Um, Japan, for example, is one that used to offer financial incentives for their um, developers and end users who installed it, but 
because they had so many people who were interested in the financial incentives, they had a big backlog of projects to try to get on the grid. And so they clamped down on those grid connections, which made a further backlog of people getting through projects online. So now they're switching away from having that type of incentive system and trying to hopefully facilitate more connections to actually have those renewable projects come on. So speaking of Japan, the, sure. the nukes are back online. Yes, temporarily. Temporarily, because a lot of them have to go off off uh, grid next March because of safety retrofits. So most of the half of the nuclear power plants that come back online have to go off. Another for how long? For a few months. Um, and there's a bunch of articles and chatter right now about whether Japan's going to have enough LNG to cover it and make sure the supply is available. But so are they still trying to put renewables online there? Though? Yes, they are. But actually, the business, um, the big business sector, uh, the agency that represents them to the government, um, they actually are very pro-nuclear and they've had a couple meetings where they are really pushing for nuclear to come back online and be a bigger part of the generation mix because it's a lower cost and lower emission compared to LNG. But what's interesting to that is that the uh, cost of nuclear keep rising. All these safety retrofits keep rising. These are older plants usually that are getting their lifetimes extended out for another 40 years and the costs just pile up. So are you saying that the renewable energy advocates in Japan, mm-hmm. I'm assuming, recognize that for their country, mm-hmm. 100% renewable is not possible? Exactly. They know that. And given the need for a baseline uh, power source, mm-hmm. they prefer nuclear to coal exactly. or the, to LNG, rather. And that's the business, the business sector, the industrial sector does. The residential sector is the opposite. They prefer anything other than nuclear because right. obviously they- there's no surprise there. It's very publicly unpopular. But no, the target that they're actually aiming for is about 25% renewable, but the policy experts who are pro-renewable are actually saying they can get up to 40. But that's um, it's an ongoing debate right now because the government is still pro-nuclear and they're still targeting a large chunk, but they're just not coming back online. It all comes down to these issues of face any island. Sure. It's, it's an island. It's the, it's the island nation scenario mm-hmm. versus a China or the United States who've got a lot of interior landmass exactly. where you can stack up renewable energy mm-hmm. assets on cheap or unused land. Exactly, and so China, uh, Japan's already done a number of things to take advantage of their solar. They've actually taken old golf courses and converted them into solar farms. They're putting solar farms on top of water, but there's only so much places they can put solar. Um, their first geothermal new plant came back on came in uh, in 23 years, just last month. First plant. They have tons of geothermal, but no, they're not using them because everyone likes to go to the hot springs and use the energy for the bathing rather than for electricity. So we're actually seeing a huge in- interest in offshore wind right now in Japan because it solves that island problem right then. I saw that Saudi Arabia mm-hmm. had its first wind farm come online this yeah. week. Yeah, it's pretty exciting. They're really leaning into renewables very significantly. Any other interesting details about that? Um, it's just surprising that Saudi Arabia's wind farm would get news over a Saudi Arabia solar. It's true. You think Saudi Arabia, you think Tesla. Yeah. Yeah, well, it's 400 megawatts, so it's a pretty significant utility scale, first of its kind. There's definitely going to be more, I think, coming. But what's really interesting in the whole Middle Eastern space right now is this new technology that's taking solar panels and making them able to desalinate water, water at the same time which is a huge part of the energy needs of the Middle Eastern countries. So if you look at the generation mix and how much energy goes to electricity production or desalination, it's off the charts. So that's actually going to be a really interesting uh, new development to watch. Jim, isn't there another potential energy source 
that uses desalinization of water? Uh, I don't know why. There is? Or are we talking about fusion? Uh, I'm talking about fusion. <laughs> fusion? That's not desalination. Does it have to do with desalination or does it use salt water or something? It uses a form of salt in the fusion process. But does it, can it take in salt water and produce energy? I don't think it's quite that simple. I mean, some people have said it runs on salt water. I think that's an oversimplification. Come of on, this. Ian. It's rocket there. science. Yeah. So, I, but fu- fu- fusion could come one day, maybe. Actually, Japan's really looking into hydrogen. Um, the Olympics, the 2020 Olympics, is supposed to be zero emissions, and part of it's going to be using hydrogen. What do you mean? For what? Yeah. Yeah. So they're use um, they're using 100% renewable energy to run all the uh, parks and the places where the athletes are staying, and then they're using hydrogen for the fuels. But what's the hydrogen doing? It's for business fuel cells, essentially. Yeah. yeah, essentially. To run the golf carts and stuff. Yeah. So it's a hundred zero emissions. Um, uh, yeah, you gotta, but you've got to make the hydrogen using yes. energy somewhere. Yes. So it's not more of a storage play. Well, not how the Japanese government is marketing it. Well, you got to make the solar panels too doesn't mean you're not producing renewable energy yeah I, I get it but you know you've got to make hydrogen using energy is what i'm saying is there is a process beyond the manufacturing of a panel yeah right that's true you're essentially producing a commodity with another commodity right yeah and it's stored hydrogen can be stored which is attractive right yes so you know that kind of makes sense so that's their advertising Right now. But you could also have electricity running the... So hold on. Could we produce hydrogen with wind energy? Yes. And use it for storage? There you go. Yeah. Is that happening? It's been proposed. I haven't seen it or heard of it recently. But it's been proposed, like, that's a method of storing, you know, when you've got excess renewable energy, Mm -hmm. make hydrogen with it, and then use that. It's the same principle with the battery. As long as the battery is at the price level, you could do it, right? Utilities go batteries keep getting fall, uh, cheaper and cheaper. It's still not cheap though. No, still not cheap. It's still very expensive. And you can put hydrogen into a fuel cell, and your emission is only water. No. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, let's let's move on. Where where else around the world are there things happening that we should know about? Hmm. Let me think. There's a lot going on in the. We talked last week about the first wind farm in Kenya. Oh yeah. Actually, Africa's been pretty interesting in terms of um, lots of different types of renewable coming online. Obviously, they're pretty small scale. A lot of them are pilots, first of its kind. Like, there's a a new organic waste plant in Nigeria. Um, Obviously, Kenya, you've got the big story there. Namibia is really going pretty hard into renewables as well. They don't have a lot of capacity in general, but they have amazing solar potential, like off-the-chart solar potential. So they're really embracing what they've got. Kenya, I believe, had a... 100% 100% renewable goal for mm-hmm. 2025? I think that sounds about right. Yeah, they're very aggressive, and they're on their way to doing it. Yeah. yeah. So I think it was in Namibia that somebody set up solar panels, mm-hmm. linked it to some kind of music system in the middle of a desert, <laughs> and is now playing Toto's Africa. Oh, my gosh. 24 hours a day, 365, and it's in the middle of a desert. That sounds amazing. I have not heard that, and I'm yeah, shocked and it's powered it. by solar panels. I the think Toto version or the Weezer remix? That's a, that's a good point. Which I want to go see. Yeah, I'd like to see that. Yeah. Conclave 2021? Yeah. Let's do it. Yeah, Conclave. <laughs> Conclave in the Namibian desert <laughs> to Toto. Yeah. So I have a question, you know, thinking about Kenya, thinking mm-hmm. about these African nations. Yeah. 
China, are we seeing businesses moving to places with greener grids? So is is Kenya's commitment resulting in in the growth of their economy? Because I think that's been the expectation. I'm Mm -hmm. curious if, if that's bearing out. I'm not sure that has really been happening. I think still one of the most pri- uh, things that's come business prioritize are security of supply and then price, right? Right. So it's, it's when you're t- looking about major economies in Africa, South Africa has got to be the major one that you look at, right? Well, now they're having huge reliability issues. They're having rolling blackouts and brownouts. It throws out everything up into question. And then companies are looking at, you know, if this is the power's not going to be reliable here, maybe right. I shouldn't be here. Same thing with Nigeria; power's not reliable there either. Yeah. So, unfortunately, I'm not seeing a lot of that. But I, what I am seeing is co- where there is green energy and where it's economical. Companies are going in all the way. In Philippines, for example, um, it's an open market for most end users, and there's been a slew of stories, some of which we've actually been a part of, about major manufacturing companies switching 100% to renewable on the open market. And it's it's economical. It's it's cost competitive to ground in many cases. But for security of supply issues. But supply, the, but the security of supply is usually not an issue in the Philippines. They did have a major outage, but um, uh, basically, when it's net equal on security, uh, in one of those markets where it's the same either way, then yeah, they're going green. But in the first case, when deciding where you're going to put a plant, security I think comes first. So transmission is is important. Yes. And then general energy infrastructure mm-hmm. perhaps gets overshadowed sometimes by the need for renewables. Renewables are only as good as the energy infrastructure that, exactly. that support them, right? Exactly. And that's been obviously going back to China, that's one of the major issues, right? You have a lot of areas in China that do not have well, they have the energy but they don't have the the infrastructure, for example. So all of the pop populous cities with the manufacturing and our clients are all on the eastern coast or the southern coast, but a lot of the energy and the resources and the wind especially is in the center of the country. So it's how you get that energy to them. But that's something they're working on. But it seems to me like economies where there's growth, the Mm -hmm. capacity additions Mm -hmm. by and large are tending to come from renewables nowadays. Oh, absolutely. I would agree. Though I did see an ARENA report um, saying that the net installations did fall year over year last year which was a bit of a surprise. Globally? Mm-hmm. Globally. Obviously not the case in quite a few markets, but globally. Net installations of renewables mm-hmm. or net installations of capacity generally? Uh, I think it was renewable specific. That seems curious. Yeah, I'll have to find it. But then was there also a dip in fossil capacity ads? I don't think that article said, uh, but I'll have to go back and look. Yeah, because there's been a, a significant trend for quite a few years now mm-hmm. toward efficiency, right? Exactly. General need for power is dropping uh, on a year-to-year basis. In many developed countries. However, developing countries are still exploding. Look at Vietnam. Look at Indonesia where they just need more capacity. Nigeria, too. Wasn't there a big outage in Indonesia? Yeah, Yeah, in Jakarta. Uh, The president was not happy with his utility. Everything there is state-owned. He wasn't happy because it was their fault? Mm -hmm. He he claimed it was their fault. He blasted them in the media about it. What, what, what caused it? Was it a transformer failure? I actually haven't read that yet, but it, they were out for nine hours in the capital of Jakarta. So, yeah. But that's actually, it's been a, uh, again, island nations reliability is a, is a challenge. So Indonesia actually doesn't have that reliable of a power source anyway. I think we, I think we need to do like a special research exercise on the problems facing islands because when we're talking to, pro, you know, when we, when we run into these problems, mm-hmm. it's, the discussions, you know, are about 
you know, the United States or Europe where there's kind of solutions. Mm -hmm. But for many people, they've got load on Taiwan, mm -hmm. Japan, Dominican Republic, right? Mm -hmm. All these things that come up, which turn out to be the... Puerto Rico. Puerto Rico. The difficult ones are on these islands. Yes. And so I think there's a whole line of neo-research we could add, which is like renewables on islands. Saltwater fusion. Saltwater <laughs> fusion. You're not letting that go, are you? No. That's going to be the new thing, right? Well, Japan's looking to mine, uh, what do they call it? Uh, flammable ice. What ice? Flammable ice. It's methane ice from underneath the... That doesn't sound renewable. It's not. It's like natural gas, basically. It's burning methane. Yeah, that sounds horrible. <laughs> well, elevations got to do what you got to do. Ever, have you ever heard of something called oromulsion? No, I have not. Yeah, this stuff. Horrible. So it's only, <laughs> it's available in the Orinoco Basin of Venezuela. Okay. And it's not oil, but it's not like rotting vegetation. It's like somewhere between the two. <laughs> oh, gosh. Basically, it's liquefied rainforest. And you oh. scoop it up with like diggers and put it on a tanker. And then you ship it off to your power station and burn it. It's like the worst possible fossil fuel. There was, I think, only two plants ever built that burn it. But the only source of it was the Orinoco Basin in Venezuela. And then your methane ice reminds me of that. Imagine charging your iPhone by burning the rainforest, basically. That's not a good story. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, Megan, any final words, takeaways uh, for those Neo members that have load around the world um trending up trending down things looking good i think there's a lot of positive developments a lot of positive changes i think are coming um, a lot of new regulations very supportive of renewable across the board so that's a good sign that's good to hear yeah well, thank you thank, thank you for having me until next time to learn more about these and other topics log into the neo network at neonetworkexchange.com Feel free to email us with comments or questions at neonetwork at se.com and be sure to tune in for the next episode.